Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message from Pastor Aaron Lapp. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity and the privilege to be able to come and, and open up your word this morning. Lord, we thank you for um, providing it for us. We thank you for preserving it for us and all that it says and how it directs our lives, Lord, the encouragement, the promises it makes, Lord, the understanding and revelation of who you are uh, and who we are in light of that. So, Lord, as we open up your word this morning, I pray that you would touch each one of our hearts, Lord, that you would speak into it. Lord, that we would, each one of us, be having ears to hear and softened hearts. We thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. You know, before I get into Deuteronomy, I just want to tell you a little story from the Gospel of Matthew. You've probably heard this before, but the story goes that after Jesus was baptized, he was led out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit for a time of fasting and praying. And, and while he was there... Uh, it says in the Bible that Satan came along to try and tempt Jesus. It says after 40 days, Jesus had been fasting. He was weak. He was hungry. Satan comes in and he's like, oh, now's my opportunity to try and get in, to try and tempt him. And isn't that really kind of like, isn't that how it happens? You find yourself in that place of weakness. You find yourself kind of alone and desperate. And, uh, um, and that's when the devil comes in, doesn't he? He comes in, he's going to try and tempt you. Well, he does the same thing here with Jesus. And he comes in and he says, uh, it's very interesting in the Gospel of Matthew, it says that Satan came to Jesus and he said, uh, if you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, see how he's already starting to get him to question everything. If you are the Son of God, then command that these stones become bread. He says, Jesus, you're hungry. It's been 40 days. You haven't eaten. You're weak. If you really are who you claim that you are, then watch you turn these stones into bread. Then you'll have all the food that you need. And Jesus says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You've heard that before, right? Everybody familiar with this story? It says, then the devil took him up on the holy city, on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. And then Satan does something very clever. He quotes scripture back to Jesus. And he says, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you. And in their hands, they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. And so Satan, seeing how effective scripture quoting is, quotes scripture back to Jesus. But you know what he does? He leaves out a little bit. Just, he just leaves out a little bit. See, he's quoting from Psalm 91. Let me just read you this. Psalm 91, the passage that Satan is quoting from, it starts off with, because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the most high in your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling, for he has given his angels charge over you. That's the part that Satan quoted. But he skipped this part to keep you in all of your ways. And then he said, in their hands, they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot upon a stone. And so Satan skips the part that says, if you make God your refuge, he will keep you in these ways. 
right? Satan just grabs, you know, this verse and that verse. He's trying to use scripture against Jesus right here. However, Jesus turns it back around on him and he says, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. So then Satan goes, all right. And he takes him to another place on top of a high mountain. And he says, Jesus, look at all that you can survey with your eyes. I will give this all to you if you will just bow down and worship me. Jesus replies to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And it says, and then the devil left him. And so Jesus uses scripture to ward off the attacks of the enemy. The enemy comes, he tries it in a weak moment, he tries to get in. And Jesus quotes scripture to Satan to ward off the enemy, to ward off the attacks. Now, why am I bringing this up this morning? This is just a great story, isn't it? This is a great story that says that the word of God is powerful, especially when it is used in, in defense against the enemy who tries to come in. But but this, these aren't just any random scriptures. Jesus, all three times, quotes from the book of, what do you think? Deuteronomy. Jesus is using these words. These are the words, isn't it? These are the words. See, Jesus said, I've got all of scripture to quote, all of the Old Testament. I'm going to quote to you, Satan, out of the book of Deuteronomy, because these are the words that I use to be able to defend myself against the attacks of the enemy. That's pretty cool. You know what else I noticed, though? That these weren't words directed at Satan, were they? These weren't spells or incantations that he was using to ward off the devil. These are actually verses that tell us how we are supposed to be in sight of God, how we're supposed to act. We're supposed to live by the word of God. We're supposed to not tempt God. We're supposed to worship only God. It wasn't like he was saying anything to Satan. He was saying, no, this is how we must be. These are the scripture verses that we must apply to ourselves so that we can be well. So it will, as, as Moses had said, so it will be well with you. These are the verses that Jesus uses. These are the words. In fact, what he's saying is, if you are submitted to God, you can resist the devil, and he must do what? Flee. Flee. I didn't make that up. That's James chapter 4, verse 7. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. How do you do that? Well, Jesus just gave you three really great verses, how to submit to God, right? All right, now we're going to go into Deuteronomy chapter 5. These are the words. Last week, we ended at this kind of neat place where, where uh, uh, Moses was writing down that they, he established on the east side of the Jordan River before they go into the land, three sanctuary cities. Remember we talked about that, these sanctuary cities? You know, we will learn later on that he establishes six altogether, three on the east side and three on the west side. And sanctuary cities were cities that were set up so that if you accidentally killed somebody, you know, you didn't do it with intent to kill them. It was like, you know, a cart accident or your, you know, your ox got out of its cart and it ran and gored somebody and, and uh, it was an accident, but you were still responsible. 
there was a place that you could go for protection because a family member, the one who was killed, was allowed to track you down and take out vengeance. He was called the Avenger of Blood. The Avenger of Blood. That sounds very ominous, but really that'd be scary to know that there was an Avenger of Blood. Someone who was coming out who was trying to, to take uh, revenge against you because you killed a member of their family. So if that was the case, you could actually run to a sanctuary city where you would be at least immediately protected until they could figure out, was this an accident or did you mean to kill that person? And if it was established that it was an accident, you would be safe there. They could not come in and they could not kill you. They could not get blood from you for the blood that had been, or the, the wrong that had been done. Now, here's the thing. Sanctuary cities, you know, they were open to anybody. It wasn't just the Jews. Anybody who had this situation, a Gentile, uh, a foreigner, could, could run to and be saved in a sanctuary city. And the sanctuary cities were where the Levitical priests dwelled. Dwelled? Dwelt. Lived. <laughs> and as long as the, the high priest was alive in that city... Um, you, uh, you had to stay there. You were safe as long as the Levitical high priest um, was alive. You were safe and no one could come in and kill you. If you left the confines of that city and left the protection of the high priest, you were susceptible to anybody out there. The avenger of blood could come and take you. But when the high priest finally died, then you were good. You could leave. You were no longer under or had to be under the protection there. You could leave. And so we talked last week about how this idea of many things in the Old Testament exist as uh, shadows of the substance. Have you ever heard that? Anyone talk about that? And talk about the Old Testament, the shadow of the substance. That's, you know, what a shadow is. If there was, you know... <laughs> That's not going to work, but if I was standing here and I cast a shadow right there, the shadow is uh, a similar image to me, but it's not me exactly. I'm the substance. That's my shadow. So many things in the Old Testament are just substance, uh, shadows of the real thing, and this is also the case. The sanctuary cities were a real thing, but the real idea of the sanctuary city was Jesus, right? Jesus is the one that anyone can run to when they have killed someone, and essentially last week we talked about, remember, it was our sin, the sin of humanity that caused Jesus to go to the cross and be killed, right? Um, we need sanctuary, and so we run to Jesus, who is our sanctuary city. He is the one who took on and, and offers protection for, to be saved. You know what was really interesting also is the Levitical priest was supposed to be the one that bore all of the sin of all the people every year. He would bear all the sin. He would take it in once a year on the Day of Atonement. He would go into the temple, and that's how the people would receive forgiveness. In the same way, Jesus bears all of your sin, just as a Levitical priest. Jesus bears all of our sin. It's kind of neat that there were six man-made cities, but Jesus being that seventh sanctuary city is perfect. Seven is the number of perfection. I'm not a numbers guy, but I do like that one. Anyway, here we go. I took tons of time. Chapter one, verse five, chapter five, verse one. <laughs> We're not going that far back. 
And Moses called all of Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and judgments which I speak in your hearing today, that you may learn and learn them and be careful to observe them. And we've been looking at this idea of observe isn't just to look at or to see it, but it is to see, to hear, to understand, and to do. When it says to observe, it means that you are to see what's going on, to understand it, and to do it. We're supposed to hear and do. I guess I wrote a note to myself here. Hold on. Oh, I remember that. See, what's going to happen is they're going to hear and they're going to observe. They're going to do for a little while. But over time, they're going to forget. They're going to drift. They're going to say, yes, we are going to worship God and only God. We're not going to have anything to do with idols, you know, until we get into the land and start living. And then, you know, maybe one or two, what's the harm? Um, and they start to drift away, and they start to drift away. And the writer of Hebrews will remind everybody of this very same thing, that we need to take careful heed. He says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore we must give more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest we drift away. Take careful heed means with the most careful attention. We need to listen to, remember, and do the things that God calls us to do, lest we drift away away. Now we see this as you read through First and Second Kings. Constantly and over and over again, we see that these kings who are appointed says that, um, that they became king in this year or that year, and they reigned for 12 years. And then it says, and they did evil in the sight of the Lord. They did evil in the sight of the Lord. Just let me just We'll come back to that. Um, because they drifted away from what was truth. Always when it says they did evil, it's because they didn't tear down the high places. Do you know what that means? The high places would where they would go to worship Baal and, and other false gods. And they would say, yes, well, you know, well, okay, well, we're going to do the things that we know we're supposed to do. But we're also going to leave these high places up and these idol worshiping places that we can go to as well. And they wouldn't tear them down. And they would slowly surely drift away. Like, how easy does that happen in your life? How easy do you, and how quickly can you be distracted? Like, the alarm clock goes off on Monday morning. I mean, maybe today's a great day. You'll have a great day all day. You'll go home, and you'll be like, Ooh, I feel so filled with the Holy Spirit, and, and, and you know, maybe you won't be thrown off by you know, the football games this afternoon. You're going to hold on to that filling. And then the alarm clock goes off tomorrow morning, and you're like, oh, got to go to work. You start to get distracted by work. Um, you, the traffic, has anyone noticed an uptick in the traffic? Yes. You know what the secret is? Just give yourself a little more time. Just give yourself more time. That's just free advice. That's not biblical. I'm just telling you. <laughs> but pages, never mind. All right. <clears throat> he says, the Lord, your, the Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. The Lord did not make this covenant with our fathers, but with those who are here today, all who are alive. Is that a confusing verse? Because when you look at that, you'll be like, yeah, but he did actually make this covenant with our fathers. What's Moses talking about right here when he says, he didn't make it with his fathers, he made it with us. Well, because look at what he says 
um, today we're all those who are alive. See, it was a covenant for those who were alive. He's saying, okay, uh, the, what I told your fathers to do, they didn't do. Now they're all dead. But you're here, you're alive, and so I'm telling you now, and so now it applies to you. That's what he's telling them right here. And it says, the Lord talked to them face to face on the mountain from the midst of the fire, and I stood between the Lord and you at the time to declare to you the word of the Lord, for you were afraid because of the fire. You see, when, when God told Moses to gather up all the people at the bottom of Mount Sinai, and he said that I'm going to come and I'm going to speak to them my word, my commandments, they gathered all up together, and they all uh, were present when the Lord spoke from the top of the mountain. And it was all you know, clouds and smoke and fire and a thundering voice. Did you know that you could go to Mount Sinai right now? I mean, you can't actually go because you know, they don't let you go there, but you it still exists. You can go. And I've heard from people that have visited when they could visit, they go up onto the top of this kind of red rock mountain and it's all blackened at the top. You can see it on Google Earth actually, right? It's all blackened on top of the earth. And if you go and you lift up the rocks, they're not black underneath. It's as if the entire top of the mountain was just on fire at some point. Seems like that's probably true, isn't it? Because God has descended upon the top of the mountain in fire. And he spoke 10 commandments to them, which we're going to look at today. And the people were so afraid that they said to Moses, please, please, don't make us listen to this anymore. If you could go up and you could talk to God and you could be the intermediary, Moses, if you could do that. And so Moses said, I stood between you and the Lord to declare your word. And... I saw a note that it seems so interesting to me, this idea of the, the voice of the Lord talking to these people. They heard the voice of the Lord, and it was scary, and they were afraid. But there were other moments where God came and he, and he spoke to them, and, it's, 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 and they weren't afraid. It's like the idea of when we, when we are believing and we are being obedient, the, word, the voice of the Lord comes as a blessing. But when we're in disobedience, the word or the voice of the Lord comes with judgment. It's the same voice. It just depends on, are we in a place of obedience or are we in a place of disobedience? So it's scary. Think about Adam and Eve. There was a point when Adam would have at least, I, I read this, at least one conversation with God um, before everything went bad, where they would actually have a conversation. Now, if anyone tells you that, uh, well, Adam walked in the cool of the day with God, doesn't say that anywhere. Um, but we know that God did have a conversation, at least one conversation with Adam, where he wasn't afraid, where, they, where it was a, a blessing to hear from him. But when Adam and Eve enter into sin... And they hear the Lord coming, and that's where it says that he was walking in the cool of the day. And, and they hear the voice of God say, Adam, where are you? They're afraid. Same voice. It was the same voice of God speaking to them. But before he was in obedience, now he's in disobedience. Right? These folks here, from the very beginning, they, they weave in and out of dis disobedience. I mean, they followed God out of Egypt through, through miraculous signs and wonders and works, and, and no sooner did they get 
Uh, actually, you could read it in like Exodus 15 where they cross the Red Sea and they're all praising God and they've got their cymbals and their instruments. And they're singing songs and they're dancing around. And the very next breath it says they started to complain because they didn't have water. Right? And so immediately they go to this place of just, I'm going to complain now. Oh, well, you know, God brought us out here to die. And so they weave in and out of this place of obedience and disobedience and obedience and disobedience. And so when they hear the voice of God, it comes to, it's a scary voice to them. It's a scary voice. And, and I'm just encouraging you to try and find your place uh, where the voice of God is a blessing to hear to you. You're not afraid. And if you find like you're afraid of the, of the voice of God, if you're afraid of the word of God, you're probably in disobedience someplace in your life. And so you need to examine that. So Moses said, I stood between you, and you did not go up the mountain. And, and he said, and he's talking about God, I am the Lord your God which brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. Well, we, we heard that already like several times. Isn't this the, the button that God keeps on pushing? You're coming from a place of idolatry. You're going into a place of idolatry. I am the only God on heaven and on earth. You should have no other gods before me. And remember, that doesn't mean in line. That means in my purview, wherever I can see, you are to have no other gods. You should have no other gods before me. He says, you shall make not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness, or anything that is in heaven above or on the earth. You know, what he's going through right now is called the Ten Commandments. You ever heard of them? Who's heard of Ten Commandments? Anyone? A few of you. There is an impression among people that the Ten Commandments are like, oh, the Ten Commandments are like the list of do's and don'ts. If somehow it has become this idea of here's God's restrictive list on your life so that you just can't have any fun. Here you go. Here you go. Here's your, here's your list of no fun things that God is saying, don't do anything. You, here, you can't do any of these things. And I don't really understand that because when you look at the list and you're like, um, don't murder. That, well, that's not fun. Murder's not fun. You know, who, who wants to get stolen from? You know, who wants to be lied to? You know, hey, you know, is it fun to see a family torn apart because of an adulterous affair? I mean, are, these are not things that you would, these are not bad things that God's like saying, I don't want you to have any fun in your life, so here's my list of things that you can do and can't do. Why do people have such an issue with the Ten Commandments in general? Why? Why do you think? I mean, I honestly think that because People don't like to be told, you must do this or you can't do that. And whatever the case is, you must do this, you can't do that. And so anytime that comes up, they're like, well, hey, you gotta tell me what to do, God. <laughs> How many of you remember 1984? Brady, yeah. 1984. I know, I mean, some of you are older than me, so if you're not raising your hand, I don't know what you were doing that you don't remember 1984. In 1984, in New York State, is when they instituted the seatbelt law. The seatbelt law. In New York State, they said, if you are driving in your car in the front seat, you must wear a seatbelt. I remember everyone being like, what? 
You can't tell me. I'm. You can't tell me to wear a seatbelt. There's no way. You can't. You just can't do it. You can't make me do it. I'm not going to do it. Even though you know the seatbelt probably will save your life. But people seem to have a problem when you say you must do this or you mustn't do that. I think that's part of the reason why people have such an issue with the Ten Commandments. Even though if you really looked at them, you would say, oh, well, these actually aren't bad things. Don't murder, don't steal, don't lie. You know, those are pretty obvious. Don't commit adultery. Don't be envious over the stuff that your neighbor has. Those are actually good things. I'm going to try and do those things, but I'm not going to tell anybody that because then they're going to think that I'm just being told what to do and I just do it. See, God starts to go through. Moses starts to remind them of the Ten Commandments that were given to their fathers and that many of them heard at the base of the mountain as well. You shall have no other gods. You shouldn't make any other idols beneath that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor shall you serve them. For I, your Lord God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation. So first of all, he says, and he reminds them, I'm a jealous God. And we looked at that. I'm a God who purchases you at a great price. And because of that purchase, I don't want to share you with anyone, especially a wooden statue, right? He's saying like, I'm not willing to share you. You're mine. I purchased you at a great price. I'm jealous for you. On our Friday night, uh, Thursday night group, we talked about the difference between being jealous for and being jealous of, right? One is being jealous for, I've purchased you, you're mine. I don't want to share you with anyone, right? Like my family. I don't want to share. I don't want my wife to bring home another husband for us to share. I don't want my kids to bring home another dad and say, you're great, but these two guys are pretty good too. Maybe we could all share. I'm not willing to share my family. I'm jealous for my family. But to be jealous of something, that's envy. That's different. Right, that says, you have something that I don't have, and I want it. In fact, he's going to talk about covet later. But there's another part here where people tend to be like, whoa, wait a minute, where it says, you know, uh, I'm a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation. The problem is people stop there. They stop at that part, and they go, well, wait a minute. You mean to say that if... if uh, this guy uh, sins that God is going to hold responsible the, the children's children's children? Well, not quite. Really, what, you have to look at what this is saying. Who is he talking to right at the end of the verse? For those who hate me. Well, what does that mean? It says that those, what that means is that there are those who hate God, those who have rejected him, those who have nothing to do with them. And so, of course, they're not going to live in a way that he's calling them to live. They're, going, they're not going to be soul worshipers of God. They're not going to be doing any of the things that he's called them to do. They're going to have lots of gods. They're going to have false gods. They're going to be pagans. They're going to, they're going to teach pagan practices to their children. And what we see here is God is saying, look, when you have a father that teaches pagan idol worship, to their children, and their children pass it on, and their children pass it on. For generations and generations, they are all sinning in, in, in the sight of God because they all hate God. That's what he's talking about. And don't we actually see that? How many of you actually here who are Christians right now, how many of you had parents that weren't Christians or have parents that aren't Christians? How many? Right? So something must have happened in your life that broke that cycle. Something must have happened in your life where you actually heard the word of God for yourself and believed it, right? And so that cycle of 
iniquity that was a, a sinful lifestyle that was passed down from one generation to the next is broken. Right? How does that happen? How did that happen? Well, someone told you. Someone told you. Maybe they didn't tell you the whole thing, or maybe they said, hey, why don't you come to church? And then, and then the pastor told you. Or maybe you watched something online. Or maybe they just flat out said, hey, can I tell you about Jesus? And someone told you. And it breaks the cycle of unbelief so that you heard and you believed. You know, there's a, a verse that I love that says, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on the one who they, and believe on the one who they don't know? And how can they not, how can they know if they're not told? And who's going to tell them if nobody goes out and preaches to them? Oh, man. I'm with Cesar. Honestly, on Saturday, I'm like, you know, I will be honest with you, going and knocking on strangers' doors on Saturday morning, not my favorite thing to do. It is not my favorite thing to do. You know, we got some people that, a lot of dogs, a lot of dogs. You knock on the door, it's like, clearly River Reach is a place that is welcoming to dogs. So if you need a place to live and you have a lot of dogs, and I'm guessing seven or eight of your own, dog-friendly community, over there. And, you know, and some people open the door and they go like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then you'd be like, and you just slide the card through and you're like, we're having a grand opening. I really didn't want to go. It's not my favorite kind of outreach, you know. Uh, but honestly, the Lord got a hold of me with this verse, James 4, chapter 7, I think it is, where he says, look, if we don't go and we don't tell, how are they going to know on whom they are to call and believe? And so I went, and so did my wife, and we went door to door, and we knocked on doors, and we handed out the card, and maybe, I don't know, if any, maybe someone's here today, I, I don't recognize anybody, but um, um, we ended up at Cola's house, that was really fun, he goes here, and we knocked on the door, and he was there, and I was like, hey, <laughs> um, and uh, I just want to let you know, I know Cesar mentioned this, but we're going out again Saturday. So uh, um, I encourage you, come out with us. And if it's too scary, just walk around with us. And um, you know what? All it takes is knocking on one person's door, and they're like, hi. And you're like, hi. We're having a grand opening at our church, and it's right over there. And you could probably walk you know, over there. And, and they're like, thank you so much. And you're like, OK. And you're like, oh. I'm ready for the next door. <laughs> and then that door doesn't open. And that's the way it goes, right? But how are they going to hear if we don't go and tell them? That's what we're supposed to do. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? We can't just stay in here. This is nice. That's comfortable. Maybe it's too comfortable. Next week, benches. There's a, a verse here that I want to share with you talking about how, the, uh, how it can be passed down, right? If you, uh, I'm going to read to you a couple of verses here in 1 Kings 
Uh, now Nadab, the son of Jeroboam, became king over Israel in the second year of Asa, king of Judah. And he reigned over Israel two years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and his sin by which he made Israel sin. And then it goes on, it says, In the third year of King Asa, king of Judah, Basha, the son of Ahijah, became king over all Israel in Tizra and reigned 24 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of Jeroboam in his sin, in which he made Israel sin. And then it says, In the 31st year of Asa, king of Judah, Omri became king over Israel and reigned 12 years. And Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord and did worse than all were before him. And he walked in the ways of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and in his sin by which he had made Israel sin, provoking the Lord God of Israel to anger with their idols. And you could see it. That kind of sin, that kind of lifestyle, it was passed down and passed down and passed down. And so when God is talking about those who hate me, their beliefs get passed down until there is a break in the cycle. And look at verse 10. This is how you break it. But mercy shown to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. God says, the ones who hate me, it just goes on and on and on and on. But to those who love me, I show mercy to for a thousand generations. Then he says, you shall not take the name of the Lord God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Do you know, I always used to think that that just meant don't use God's name as like a swear word, right? And that is true. God was like, don't you dare. Don't you dare take my name um, and use it as a curse word. And boy, I tell you what, every time I hear that someone uses the name of Jesus Christ as a curse word, it makes me want to punch them in the face. <laughs> but I do, it does make me like, I hate that. I hate that. To a lesser degree, I hear all the time, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, watch it. Watch it, because you may not think that that's a curse word, but the word vain right there, it doesn't mean curse word. It means futility or pointless or useless. You are not to use God's name in a useless or pointless manner. Just to throw it out as a word or something to say, God says, no. The Hebrew people were so serious about being afraid that they would actually even pronounce his name incorrectly. They took all the vowels out. So it was just consonants so that it wasn't even able to be pronounced. And then we just toss it out. We say, oh my God, just, just be careful. This is God's name. This is God, the creator of the universe and everything in it. And he says, don't use my name in a pointless or useless, careless way. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. So uh, let me just go on there a second. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son nor your daughter nor your male servant nor your female servant nor your ox nor your donkey nor any of your cattle nor your stranger who is within your gates, your, the, that, <laughs> your male servant and your female servants may rest as well as you and remember that you were slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. And so he says to them, there is a day, work six days, 
and set this one day aside to rest. And not just you, your donkey, your ox, the strangers, your friends, your servants, everybody, everybody. Now, um, every, every few years, uh, I, I come into contact with uh, a, a good believing brother who says, you know what, we, we're not keeping the Sabbath. We need to keep the Sabbath. We need to, we, you know, I don't, why aren't we keeping the Sabbath day holy? Because it says that in the Bible. But you know, I, first of all, I want to point out to you, did you know that out of the Ten Commandments, nine are in the New Testament somewhere? One isn't. You know what it is? Keeping the Sabbath day. Because that was given to this nation specifically. Later on, Jesus will step in and he was like, you know what? I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. He literally says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. When they come and they challenge him and they say, "Uh, Jesus, how come your followers are plucking heads of wheat and feeding themselves? Because that's work, apparently. I'm going to take a lot of work to do this, I'm just telling you. But they were trying to find fault and they said, that's work and you're not supposed to work on on the Sabbath. And David says, Jesus says, first of all, do you not remember the story? About David, when he was hungry, he went in and he ate the showbread, which really wasn't supposed to happen either. And he he says, look, the Sabbath wasn't created to rule over man. Sabbath was created for man. And then he says, and I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Right? What was the Sabbath designed for, for the Israelites? So that they would find rest. Right? What does Jesus say? Come to me. All you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. See, the fact is that for us as Christians, Jesus says, I am your rest. I am your Sabbath. So you don't need to set aside a day. Paul would later write, some uh, say that one day is important. Some people esteem every day as important unto God. If someone comes up to you and says, well, do you honor God on the Sabbath? You could say, yes, I do. And I also do it on Sunday and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. And I do it every day. Every day I honor God, not just one day, but every day. And by the way, Jesus is my Sabbath rest, right? Yeah. And let me, hey, let me tell you about him, by the way, if you've not heard. (laughs) Now, that's not to say I don't like my hammock on Sunday afternoon. I do. And it's good to take rest. But what happens is the Sabbath became less about rest and more about measure, they're like, oh, well, you don't keep the Sabbath. <laughs> well, I guess I'm way more holier than you are, silly Christian. All right, so as soon as anything that you do becomes a way of measuring your righteousness against someone else's righteousness, wrong. Wrong. Whatever blessing you might have received from that, anyway, you just lost it. Anyway. And I had this friend who used to remind me this all the time. It really bugs me. <laughs> And I, I would say something to like, oh, I saw some garbage over here and I picked it up because there was garbage all over. And he goes, there's your reward. I was like, what do you mean? He goes, you telling me is your reward for that good thing that you just did. I was like, oh. <laughs> you know, if, if the praise of men is all you want, then go ahead and tell everybody everything you do. But if you're heavenly minded, just keep it to yourself. <clears throat> Honor, wow, what an appropriate day to have our kids with us. And the next one, honor your father and your mother. As the Lord your God has commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may be well with you in the land which you, your God, is giving you. You know, there's something interesting. Now, there's a switch right here. That one marks the switch in the commandments. How many are there? Ten, Ten right? The first four 
are how we are to relate to God, right? No other gods, no idols. Uh, don't use the Lord's name in vain and uh, honor the, the Sabbath day that he has given us, right? So it is our relationship with God, those first four. Then the last six are going to be how we are in relationship with those around us. It starts off with your parents, and then it's going to go on to the people that you're not supposed to murder, which is everybody, <laughs> or steal from, or loving your neighbor, all of that. He says, you have to, and they're in order very specifically. Starts off with God, only one God, only worship him, don't have any other idols, keep the Sabbath, they don't use my name in vain, all of that. This relationship right here, before he moves on to this relationship right here. It's specific, and here's why. You are not going to get this right until you have this right, right? God says, get your relationship with me in proper order. Be it in the way that you are to be according to these, and this will work out. You say, oh, I don't know, 10 there's 10, that's a lot. I can't remember 10. If I was to ask you right now to just take out a piece of paper and write down all 10 before I go through, could you do it? Could you write down all 10? Some of you, I know you can because we, yeah, Brady, I'm sure you could, you know? And, and my daughter, because we have a, you know, a video that taught us how to do that. But you know, the 10's a lot. And sometimes you're like, well, I mean, was it, was it, what was number eight again? What was eight? <laughs> So Jesus did us a really big favor, didn't he? Jesus did us a big favor because the Pharisees came over and they were hearing Jesus preach and one of them came over and he said, well, Jesus, what's the most important? What's the greatest commandment? Which, number one, is really kind of uh, strange, but it, we do this also, right? Initially, there were 10. 10 that God said, keep all of these and you will be well. It will be well with you. Keep all of these. And this guy comes to Jesus and says, well, which one is the greatest one? Like if I only had to follow one, which would it be? And it's almost like Jesus saying, um, no, you can't just one. But, but this is what he does. He says, all right. He says, uh, this is the greatest commandment, that you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Guess what? That's the first four wrapped up in that statement. Because if you love God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, you're not going to worship any other God. If you love him with all your heart, soul, and mind, you're not going to make an idol. If you love him with all your heart, soul, and mind, you are not going to throw his name out there as a curse word or just pointlessly use it. You will rest when he says the rest. You will place your rest in Jesus. If you love him with your heart, soul, and mind, you will do that stuff. And then he goes on to say, this is, the second one is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And so he says, you know what? I'm going to get it all. I'm going to just encompass it. All 10 into these two. Love God with everything that you've got and love your neighbor like yourself. And he says, those are, that's the first and the second. And on all that, all the law and all the prophets hang on those two verses. And why does that work? Well, I already told you why, in terms of if you love God with everything you've got, you're not going to dishonor God by worshiping idols. That if you love your neighbor as much as you love yourselves, and we love ourselves, no one really needs to learn how to love themselves. We love ourselves. He's saying, if you love your neighbor, you won't murder them. You won't steal from them. 
You won't lie about them. You won't try and, and steal their wife or husband. And you won't look at what they have and say, I want it so much that I'd do anything to get it. See, God says, if you love me and you love your neighbor, all this other stuff will work out. But it's got to be me first. God says, you've got to love me first with everything you've got, and then you can do this other stuff. But if you do, everything is encompassed in those two. So if the 10 are too much for you to remember, just remember those two. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, or heart, or strength, whatever it is I said there. And love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. Those two things. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor, uh, and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male servant, his female servants, his ox, his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. It's not like, you don't look at your neighbor's. Covet is a word that means I look at it and I say, I want it so much that I'm willing to do almost anything to get it. And God says, don't do that. Don't do that. You see, your neighbor uh, has a brand new Tesla, and you're like, oh, I wish I had one of those. Man, I, what do I have to do to get one of those? Rather, you say, man, that thing is so cool. I really love that. It's so cool. It's electric and fun, and it looks like a video game. Can I drive it? You can give that a shot. Can I drive it? <laughs> and he'll say, no, I'm jealous for it because I paid for a great price. <laughs> And I'm not willing to share my Tesla with anyone who says. <laughs> These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly in the mountain from the midst of the fire, the cloud and the thick darkness with a loud voice. And he added no more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and he gave them to me. And so Moses is reminding them before we go in that God, God gave us these. He spoke them to you from the mountain, but then he gave them to me written in stone. And I brought them down and you said, yes, we will do all of these things that you say that we are supposed to do. These are the greatest two commandments. He, he sums it up. Get this right, and this will work too. But get this right first. We're going to end there today because, well, it's family church and communion. So uh, we're going to pray, and as I pray, the band's going to come up, and we're going to get ready for communion. If, um, yeah, let's do that. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much this morning for this time in your word as we walk through Deuteronomy, Lord, and as you reveal the things uh, that you would have us to see in your word. I thank you. Lord, I thank you for how you challenge us through your word. Lord, I thank you for when you convict us through your word. I pray that you would cause us to change in the way that you would have us to change. Lord, I ask your blessing on the remainder of our service today as we remember the death and resurrection of your son, Jesus, for our sakes. Jesus, we pray.